So as the Exodus is happening, turn to Exodus chapter 16. Just hold your place there. It's going to take us a little bit uh, to get up to that portion of Scripture. This morning we're going to be looking at the perversion of blessings and gifts in our life and how to get the right perspective of these, of gifts and things at Christmas time. And to do this, we must understand what gifts really are and how to give them and how to receive them. And it's just not going to apply to this time of year, but throughout the entire year. You know, there's those who would like to skip Christmas altogether. And Brittany is not one of them. <laughs> She's on the other side of that. That's and uh, that's fine, too. You know, some people claim that Christmas should not be one day, but every day. And they are right. <laughs> they claim that Christmas is commercialized. And they are right. They claim that Jesus' birthday was not likely on December 25th, but Christmas was celebrated that day to cover over pagan practices at that time. And they may well be right. But as the phrase goes, do we throw out the baby with the bathwater? I see the celebration of Christmas as a celebration of giving. Isaiah 9, 6, we sung this, we're learning this scripture song. At least I am. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. The problem of Christmas is the misunderstanding and the purposes of the gifts and blessings of God. We mess this up, we mess up Christmas. And every other day of the year as far as that goes. With that, I, I've talked to you in the past of, of when we have blessings and gifts, how we hold that. We need to hold them loosely. Well, what does that mean? What does that mean? And so I hope today that I might give more definition of what that means of how to really hold the blessings and the gifts of God. Let's pray. Father, I ask you to put your finger upon this message. I ask your Holy Spirit to, to preach it to our hearts. I ask for hearts to receive it and willing minds and hearts to live it. And so, Father, a blessed life, a truly blessed life depends on how we see the blessings and gifts of God. And so now, I ask that you help each family this year through this season, Lord, to be all that they can be. To be a light to this world. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, last week I was preaching on hating covetousness. Hating covetousness. I was talking with Beth afterward. And we were discuss discussing together the subject of the things that we get and the blessings of life and how do we know if we are in balance with those things of life or if we're out of balance and leaning toward covetousness. 
Now, we certainly know by Scripture that God gives us things in life to enjoy and to be used for good. Psalm 84, 11, for the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will He withhold from them that walk uprightly. But we also know that our flesh ever works against that which is good. Romans 7, 18, Paul says, For I know that in me, that is, in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. We also know that it is hard for us to be honest with ourselves about these matters of the heart. Jeremiah 17, 9 said, The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So where do we get the answers to the questions as to the proper use or abuse of the things that we have in life. God gave Solomon some advice, 1 Chronicles 28.9, And thou, Solomon my son, know thou the God of thy father, and serve him with a perfect heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searcheth all hearts, and understandeth all the imaginations of the thoughts. If thou seek him, he will be found of thee. But if thou forsake him, he will cast thee off forever. God tells Solomon to know the God of his father, David. Psalm 139, verse 23, a psalm of David. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. It is God that must reveal our hearts to us. We are to seek Him for the answers. We must realize that the proper interpretation of gifts and blessings is really to point us, to move us in the right direction toward truth, toward love, and toward God. For instance, the perversion of a gift from God when received improperly in the flesh can cause us to crave the gift more. It is called an addiction. And the problem with an addiction is that it can never be satisfied. When we take a blessing from God and try to find satisfaction in it, we end up in a pursuit that has no end and becomes more destructive as we continue down that path. We like to think that this only pertains to drugs, pornography, or some other great perversion, but if we admit it, we all potentially and probably have our own addictions. It could be food trying to find satisfaction or comfort through our bellies. For others, it's activities that we love. How do we know we have addictions? Take away the source and see how our attitude changes. Not only do drug addicts have withdrawals, but so do those who go on diets. Or those whose wives or husbands get in the way of some activity they love to do. Those who struggle to go to church when the ball game is on. And what does an addict do when that craving comes? They lie to themselves. It won't hurt to have another scoop of ice cream. I'll just skip dinner tonight. Sure you will. I just sneezed three times. Better stay home from church. The faucet is dripping. Better stay home to fix it. The ox is in the ditch. There are just too many church services. You know, there was only one day set aside the Sabbath for worship. 
You know that it's common for addicts to be able to lie and to not even think about it. I, I was amazed at this. I had some personal experience with this, and it, it blew me away that somebody could lie to your face that much. And I think they actually believed their own lie. It becomes a regular routine in life. Do you think that, that, that you're not subject to that yourself? How can you tell if you're an addict to something? Let me give you a few indicators. Number one, I got a bunch of them, so sit still. Maybe I'll have you stand up halfway through or something. When you partake of the blessing, no matter what it is and how bland or repetitive it is, are you truly grateful for it? Think of what God, who had given the Hebrews, what he could have given the Hebrews in the wilderness, Anything to their heart's desire to eat. He could have given them the finest, most expensive, tender steaks from Jeff Ruby's Steakhouse. Never been there. I hear it's awesome. A bloomin' onion from Outback Steakhouse. Some Dolly Parton creamy vegetable soup. Cheddar biscuits from Red Lobster. Cheesecake from the Cheesecake Factory or from Esther, as her husband Tim would attest to. You get the picture. You can fill in your own personal blanks. Uh, on the menu? No, there's another thing. God could have given his people personal menus to order from. Or maybe put a smorgasbord out there like the Shady Maple Restaurant near Lancaster, Pennsylvania, which some of you are yet to experience, and that's quite the experience. And he could have set you down restaurant style, gave his angels commands to serve you and to bring food and clean up after you. But what did God give them? So now if you paid attention in the beginning and you turned to Exodus chapter 16 and kept your finger there or place there, we're going to start reading in verse 14. What, so what did God give them? Of all the things God could have gave them, he owns everything. He has everything. Exodus 16, 14. When the dew that lay was gone up, behold, upon the face of the wilderness there lay a small round thing as small as the hoarfrost on the ground. Exodus 16, verse 15. And when the children of Israel saw it, they said one to another, It is manna, for they wist not what it was. Manna means, it's kind of like you heard that candy bar, whatchamacallit. It was a whatchamacallit. They didn't know what to call it. And Moses said unto them, This is the bread which the Lord hath given you to eat. This is the thing which the Lord commanded, gather of it even every, every man according to his eating, and omer for every man according to the number of your persons, take ye every man for them which are in his tents. And the children of Israel did so, and gathered some more, some less. And when they did meet it with an omer, he that gathered much had nothing over, and he that gathered little had no lack. They gathered every man according to his eating, and Moses said, let no man leave of it till the morning. Notwithstanding, they hearkened not unto Moses, but some of them left it until the morning, and it bred worms and stank, and Moses was wroth with them. And they gathered it every morning, every man according to his eating, and when the sun waxed hot, it melted. And it came to pass that on the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread, two omers, one for one man, and all the rulers of the congregation came and told Moses. And he said unto them, This is that which the Lord hath said, Tomorrow is the rest of the holy Sabbath unto the Lord. Bake that 
which ye will bake today, and see that ye will see, and that which remaineth over lay up for you to be kept until the morning. And they laid it up till the morning as Moses bade, and it did not stink, neither was there any worm therein. And Moses said, Eat that today, for today is a Sabbath unto the Lord. Today ye shall not find it in the field. Six days ye shall gather, but on the seventh day, which is the Sabbath, in it there shall be none. And it came to pass that there went out some of the people on the seventh day to gather, for to gather, and they found none. Huh. And the Lord said unto Moses, How long refuse ye to keep my commandments and my laws? See, for that the Lord hath given you the Sabbath, therefore he giveth you on the sixth day the bread of two days. Abide ye every man in his place, and let no man go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day, and the house of Israel called the name thereof manna, and it was like coriander seed white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Now, if you read right before this text, you'll find that God also gave them something familiar to their flesh that they liked and knew of, and that was quail. But a little later, we're going to find out what the end of that craving for quail will lead to. Now, some might say, what a cruel God. All the things he could have gave them out in this wilderness, but he doesn't. What does God tell the disciples to model their prayers on? Give us this day our daily bread. What do you think God, one of the things that we're going to be blessed with to eat in heaven The hidden manna. I don't know about you, but I'm excited one day <laughs> to see that hidden manna and to taste it. He that hath an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna. And will give him a white stone. Talk about Christmas presents. And in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, save, saving he that receiveth it. So what will these gifts in heaven be? Simply Him. That's what He's given us. Him in many different forms and fashion, personally. And we ought to put a selah on the end of that thought. Now let me put this down where it meets the road for us in the world. If you get a chance to look up the audio personal testimony of Darling Dibler Rose, I recommend it. She was a missionary taken prisoner by the Japanese and put into prison camp. She was fed with very little food to the point of starvation. She recalls a dish one day shoved under her prison door. And to her excitement, it appeared to be a dish of rice, which was a wonderful treat. But then she began to see that that plate was beginning to move on the top. And soon she discovered it was a bowl of maggots. She bowed her head, thanked God for the meal, and ate those maggots. Folks, we get upset, upset if instead of getting chocolate ice cream, we got vanilla. And even though we like vanilla ice cream, 
Even the point of we whine about it, the will we refuse. I don't even want it. Some people are too proud or above eating at McDonald's. Now, I'm not suggesting that McDonald's is the greatest place to eat. <laughs> but it's not so horrible as people make it sound. And those little pickle, what's, what's Joel called? Pickle sandwiches, cheeseburger with those uh, dried onion things on them. Man, those taste good sometimes. He loves it above everything, doesn't he? <laughs> Why did God give manna? What was so special about manna? Manna represents him. Turn to John chapter 6, beginning in verse 22. John chapter 6, beginning in verse 22. Now this was just after the feeding of the 5,000. And Jesus is passing over the sea. Where the disciples see him walking on water and he's going over. Uh, to the other side, and in verse 22 of John chapter 6, it says, The day following, when the people which stood on the other side of the sea saw that there was none other boat there, save that one whereinto his disciples were entered. And Jesus went not with his disciples into the boat, but that his disciples were gone away alone. Howbeit there came other boats from Tiberias nigh unto the place where they did eat bread. After that the Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, neither his disciples. They also took shipping and came to Capernaum seeking for Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, when camest thou hither? Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, ye seek me because ye saw the miracles, but because ye did eat of the loaves and were filled. In other words, they were seeking Jesus because of what Jesus could give them. He had power. He could give things. That's what he's saying. He's pointing them out. He's saying, you're coming for the gift, not the giver. He says, labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for the meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. For him hath God the Father sealed. Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? So here they come again, saying, How do we get the power? Let's, you know, it's all about the power here. How can we do this? Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that you believe on him whom he hath sent. They said therefore unto him, What sign showest thou then? <laughs> they want him to do some magic work here that we may see and believe thee what doest thou work listen folks they just saw the feeding of 5,000 they were a part of it Jesus miraculously over on the other side our fathers they say did eat manna in the desert as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. In other words, give us, yeah, won't you send some of that manna down? That would be a good sign. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, truly, truly, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. 
For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Him. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. They're looking right at him and don't see it. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I say, said unto you, that ye also have seen me and believe not. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that all of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. That ought to excite you. He's not going to lose us, those who've trusted him. He's going to raise us up at the last day. The Jews then murmured at him because he said, I am the bread which cometh down from heaven. Now you've got to understand they were not spiritual, they were carnal. Everything's carnal that they're looking at. And how is he bred? And they said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he saith, I come down from heaven? Jesus therefore answered and said unto them, Murmur not among yourselves. No man can come to me except the Father, which has sent me, draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be all taught of God. Every man, therefore, that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. Not that any man hath seen the Father, save he which is of God, he hath seen the Father. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. I am that bread of Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. Now keep in mind, these are not spiritual, they are carnal. They are going to receive this carnally, these words. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Now I'm going to make a statement here. He also said to the lady at the well that he was ever living water, that like, like the fountain of youth, you know, if you wanted to take it, flesh, but he was talking about himself. He said, You must be born again. In the flesh, Nicodemus said, How do. Do we go up into our mother's womb again and be born again? He was using the physical to teach the spiritual, but they got locked. They couldn't see past the physical. There's whole religions that will teach that the Lord's Supper is actually turns into the body and blood of Christ. And that's religion for you. The Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except ye eat of the flesh of the Son of Man, and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh, and drinketh my blood, hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, 
and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him, as the Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father. So he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. He was talking, he's talked about believing on him. It's taking upon him and his life in us. And he gave his life, he gave his blood. That's the meat, that's the thing we're supposed to, to do. But some take this literal. So number one, when you partake of the blessing, no matter how or no matter what it is and how bland or repetitive it is, are you truly grateful for it? Or do you find yourself complaining about it? Do you bite the hand that feeds you? The children in the wilderness did. Do you live your blessings one day at a time or are you missing the blessings through the effort of getting more than you need for the day concerning yourself of tomorrow's blessings or going out heaping to yourself gifts and blessings on the Lord's day. Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. After all, I'm going to suggest that all true blessings return to God, for of him and through him and to him and back to him are all things to whom be the glory forever. Psalm 122, 1. A song of degrees of David. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Does the thing and the things in your life make you excited to go to the house of God? Okay. You answer that yourself. Number two, when you receive a blessing, does it make you want more of it, a greater part of it, or a larger portion of it next time? Me and the boys, we like to play golf. Well, there used to be a little golf course up there. It's okay, White Oak. But would that suffice us? Do we need to go to a country club? Then, then next, do we need to go to Pebble Beach and whatever the next greatest golf course is? Does it, ever, does it ever end? Or do you just, can you go in your backyard and put a hole in the ground and just have as much fun with it? Think about it. Hunting in your backyard, hunting on somebody else's 300-acre spread, renting hunting land, elk hunts, to bear hunts, to African elephants, it doesn't stop if you got it wrong. Ladies, the latest and greatest appliances, the best clothes for your kids, constantly moving, furniture, <sighs> repainting curtains, hairdressers, nails, restaurants, and on and on and on and on. It never stops. It's interesting that true blessings have a limit for you to truly enjoy them. There's been a technique used to cure people of bad habits. Shove a cigarette into a child who wants to smoke and force them to inhale till they choke or chew tobacco and swallow it till they choke so they won't want it. Or for those bent on crime, send them to the prison and have them scared to death by the inmates there. It also happens naturally. Overeat and you're miserable afterwards. Or indulge yourself in self-absorbed activities, work or play, and lose your wife and your family. Numbers eleven eighteen, and they say, and say thou unto the people, sanctify yourselves against tomorrow, and ye shall eat flesh. 
For ye have wept in the ears of the Lord, saying, Who shall give us flesh to eat? For it was well with us in Egypt, therefore the Lord will give you flesh, and ye shall eat. Ye shall not eat one day, nor two days, nor five days, neither ten days, nor twenty days, but even a whole month until it come out at your nostrils. And it be loathsome unto you, because that ye have despised the Lord which is among you, and have wept before him, saying, Why came we forth out of Egypt? Now I'm going to make a little statement here, because I've always thought, this is, if I could choose a time in life to live through with God, I, this, this time in the wilderness would have been it. But then I think, if I was of the first generation, I have about a two and some odd million chance of making it. <laughs> Joshua and Caleb. Now, maybe if I was in the second generation, you know what the second generation didn't have? That experience of what they used to have that they cried about. That's probably what got them through. They didn't know what in the world their parents were talking about. Moses said, The people among whom I am are 600,000 footmen, and thou hast said, I will give them flesh that they may eat a whole month. Shall the flocks and the herds be slain for them to suffice them? Or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them to suffice them? You see where it's just never ending. And the Lord said unto Moses, As the Lord hand waxed short, that thou shalt not see now whether my Lord, my word, shall come to pass unto thee or not. Number three, does a blessing make you feel more humble or proud? When you receive the blessings, it is something you tend to brag about. Do you have to drop everything and call someone to tell them about what you got or show off what you got I tell you what I see some humongous houses that I rarely see anybody in it and if it is it's a couple and I just or do you quietly receive the things God gives you and start to wonder how undeserving you are of it does it make you feel a responsibility to give the gift back to others who might receive it in the same way? To move it on. Does a blessing humble you? Does it make you see how little and undeserving you are and how big and loving God is? I tell you, there's a lot of people <laughs> out there that don't want to give God any credit. Is the end of the blessing accounted by the accumulation of possessions? or is accounted by the profession of what a great God and what wonderful people you have around you. It doesn't matter what you have. I mean, you can be rich, and you can have the right attitude toward things. Number four, could you give a particular blessing at your free will for the sake of someone else and not feel robbed or cheated of your life? Or do you feel resentment or despise the one who has caused you to give up your blessing? We have way too many Christians see, that see the giving up of things in life for the sake of others with a martyrdom spirit. What all I have to do and give up for God? Nobody else will do it, so I have to do it. Their countenance is like the Pharisees who disfigure their faces when they fast and pray. 
Preachers can be the worst of them. Yeah, it's pretty hard sometimes. And we could just see, have the pity party. Perhaps part of the problem is us doing things that we were not meant to do. I'll, I'll tell you this. One of the big, biggest braggers you'll see sometimes is in businesses, people who own businesses, and they think they are way up here. And all, because of all that they've had to put into it, when half the stuff they do is meaningless. <laughs> you know? But it was so hard, and they deserve this. And they deserve, I'll tell you, that's a wrong place to go down. The other half of the problem is trying to get credit for it. Beware. God says, hope that nobody knows about it. Then you'll get your heaven up there, or your reward up in heaven. Otherwise, you get it here. Number five, does a gift give, you, give come with any expectation of a return? In other words, if you do something for someone, do you expect that they should return the same giving to you? Do you find yourself accounting? You know, I gave a gift at their kid's wedding, but not a gift given from them at my kid's wedding. <laughs> hey, it's, it's home, doesn't it? Think about these things. That's how we think. We're, we're perverting what gifts are about. This is not a giving uh, spirit, but rather a trading spirit. Giving is a one-way street. It is without any expectation of return. Jesus gave his life for all men, everyone unworthy and unable to re recompense his great gift. And whether they would believe him or not, he still died. Number six, how much thought goes into giving someone a gift? How much do you think about others to understand their needs, their dreams, their peculiarities, their way of life, that you try to find a gift that suits them perfectly? Busyness, folks, robs us of the gift of giving. It robs us of praying for and considering others. We don't have much time to put into the thoughts of others, so we come up with the efficiency of a gift card. At least you might could ask what a favorite restaurant or store they have, or maybe just an Amazon gift card. That covers it all. But wait a minute. Who has the best reward gift for buying a gift card that I can reward myself with? And they'll even advertise it. You can reward yourself by giving a gift. Oh, that's right. You send that extra reward with the one who are buying the gift card. You see how perverted gift giving can get. God gave us a fourth commandment to have a weekly reminder to not get caught in over busyness. To remember the Sabbath and to make it holy. To set aside work once a week so we could not get lost in a perversion, in the perversion of work. A day to dedicate and to remember our purpose in God and to remember what we are working for. Number seven, how do you value the gift you receive? Is it by the monetary value of the gift? Is it by the amount of the craving you have for the gift? Man, I always wanted this thing, you know. You gave the people the brand, the style, the color, the serial number. <laughs> and five different places they can get it from. 
Or is the true value non-tangible? Perhaps a poorly knitted pair of mittens that are out of style, but cherished and worn proudly because of the love that was sewn into them by the one who made them for you. Do you see the gift or do you see the giver? Jesus did not die to receive subservient labor, folks, like everybody else's gods that they put up there. He died to receive us into his kingdom, to be joint heirs with him. True gifts always result in closer relationships. I hear a lot of Christmas time relationships go, what? Go the opposite way. What is the purpose of a gift or receiving a blessing? Is it to consume it upon your lust or do you see it as a tool to increase eternal blessings? Do we live for the blessings or do the blessings enhance the living? Let me give you an example. Um, see how good my drawing is here. Oh boy, this is probably going to be pretty bad. Uh, uh, that's probably a better picture. That's just a nose. Who knows what it is? Piggy bank. All right, I did it. All right, we got this. Piggy bank, right? Up in heaven. That's a cloud. I'm just kidding. There. Blessings and things are in order. They're tools. They're tools that we can deposit in heaven one day. What is the turn? On your blessings. Luke 6.38, give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, and shaken together, and running over, shall men give unto your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet with all, shall be measured to you again. When your life is over, all that you've gathered here counts for nothing. You can't take any of it with you. You have no control of what is left behind either. Who knows how that's going to be taken care of? You can think you can control that but you can't but what you received and then gave away to the glory of God and deposited up here that turns into eternal rewards how often is that happening you know God wants us to give creates a vacuum he says he'll give you more so that you can give and you just ka-ching 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 that's not a bad way to look at blessings it's it's called Channels only, blessed Savior. That's what that song's about. Just to be a channel of God, of love to Him and to others. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You know, we best look at the fleshly blessings of life, sleep, food, pleasures. We need to look at them like they're tools. Not to consume, not to have and to feed our fat faces and make us lazy and those sort of things. You know, they are expenses. You know, what you eat and how much sleep you have, do you think that accounts anything into heaven? Nope. 
Mike, does the tools that you have in themselves do anything in your job except for one thing? They make it a tool that he could do more. If he bought a tool that didn't do more for him and pay itself off in the long run and make his job easier so that he can work longer, he's a fool. Mike isn't a fool, by the way. I like his tools, and they work. They're good ones. Last week I talked about the Tenth Commandment, covetousness, being the root of all all the commandments. It focuses on receiving. I'd like to make the statement that all the good things in life all have their root in God the Father. It focuses not on receiving, it's on giving. And was manifested in the person of Christ. Every good gift, every good gift, and every perfect gift is from above. And cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. The tenth and last point of the gifts and blessings is this. If you have not received the unspeakable gift of Jesus Christ, to accept him as unworthy, as your Savior, to give Him lordship of all your life, you not only miss all the wonderful gifts of life and eternal bliss, you inherit the addictions of life. The old life. And despise the giver but even a whole month until it come out your nostrils and it be loathsome unto you because that ye have despised the Lord which is among you and have wept before him saying, why came we forth out of Egypt? An addict always wants to return to what he was addicted to. All addicts end in an early unfulfilled grave, a grave of dishonor, a grave in hell, where the crave is never met. Just one drop of water on my tongue, for the flame torments me, the rich man in hell asked for. But there is a great gulf where even a drop of water cannot cool a tongue. Your choice to accept the greatest gift ever given to man or reject it for the sake of your autonomy, you running your life, in the pursuit of things in this world that can never satisfy. Thanks be to God for his unspeakable gift. 2 Corinthians 9.15. Is that your declaration today? Thank God for his unspeakable gift. I've said it before and I'll say it again. A life worth living is in the giving of it. We cannot repay God for his gift, but we can share it with others. We can channel it. First Peter 4.10 is, As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. 
If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God, the word of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. I'd like to challenge you to give and receive gifts as Christ would have us to do so. And we will truly have a blessed Christmas. The perversion or misuse of giving and receiving will make us wander in the desert land of vanity and emptiness. We will become a victim of our own complaining and we will so perish in that desert. The ten spies who went into the promised land in their generation knew not how to possess the blessings and gifts of God. But Caleb and Joshua knew how to possess them and they possessed the blessings of God for they saw past the giants and all the difficulties to see the subject of all blessing an almighty and wonderful, truthful God that they could trust in. With heads bowed and eyes closed, the pianist coming to play. Mike was talking in the psalm today. They'd gone away from God. How'd they go away from God? They, they did not handle, they did not hold the blessings and gifts of God in the right way. So it boils down to God's gifts supply our daily needs. They remind us to be thankful to God every day for every meal. That's why we pray over the meals. Gifts that supply our needs every day build security and trust in God. Gifts that supply our wants breed humility. It forces us to see others' needs. Gifts should supply contentment but not satisfaction. Gifts remind us, again, of our responsibility to give. Giving is what brings joy. Giving is not a martyr syndrome. Gifts are like a one-way street. They are not contracts, trading, exchanging, or any of the such. They're given without any expectation of return. Gifts are personal. They have much thought behind them. Gifts' righteous end is a dimmer view of the gift itself and an exaltation of the giver. Gifts and blessings are to be received as tools for the work of God. Giving puts others' needs above our own. Our life is to be a gift to others and receive others as a gift to us. This is the very essence of gifts and blessings as witnessed by God through His Son who gave His life for us. Think about it, folks. Let's straighten out what blessings really are.
on Thursday we had Bible study with the gentleman at close to home and we were in John chapter 6 and uh, we've been kind of going through the book of John and we've been watching some Christian films and things. And so it talks about the manna and I was asking them to call out some food that they would have liked, you know, kind of had a little fun with it. It was pretty interesting because, you know, of all the food they kept, one of them said uh, meatloaf, <laughs> one said hamburger, you know. But I asked myself, why do you think God would have gave them manna? And one of the men quickly said, probably not to spoil them. You know, spoiling is a bad thing. I may have been guilty of that in my family. I think I have. You know, it's, it's fun to do that, but, but we can lead our family away from what gifts really are about. So I hope our Lord's left you with some thoughts to consider, uh, some changes to make in your life for his honor and for his glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the blessings of your word. Thankful that we can rely on this truth and we can just hang on it with every, everything we have. We thank you for it. May we have blessed your name today. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You are dismissed.